Hello and welcome to Non-Essential Workers. I'm your host, Marlena. Today I got to speak with an incredibly talented and charismatic individual living way across the world from me in Sydney, Australia. Uh, this was Bernie Van Teel, or BVT, as they're known on stage. They are a Sydney-based hip-hop slash R&B artist, beatboxer, producer, drag performer, and actor. Highlights include touring with Aussie star Pete Murray as his human drum kit and joining Haiku Hands on their supervillain tour. BVT's debut single, Spend Some Time, is available on all streaming platforms for your listening pleasure. In this episode, we speak about the language of beatboxing, what it means to be a TikTok influencer, and defining happiness and success for oneself. You can learn more about BVT on Instagram, at BossDemBVT, or on YouTube, at Bernie Van Teel. As always, feel free to rate, review, subscribe, share, and most of all, please enjoy. But the action man said, shut the fuck up. Some said, shut the fuck up. I want to thank you very much for being open to receiving a random dm from a stranger across <laughs> the world <laughs> um for anyone who m- m- may be listening i um can i call you bernie is that your yeah yeah okay um i discovered bernie through instagram um and was fortunate enough to see some of your your content your videos and in particular your beatboxing videos <laughs> Uh, are super, super impressive. I'm glad you reached out. I really appreciate it. Um, I just want to, before we start, just acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which I talk to you from. Uh, So I live in Sydney, which is Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. And I just want to pay my respects to the elders of past and present and emerging as this is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. Thank you. Thank you for that. I love your voice, the timbre of it. <laughs> Both the timbre and the accent is just. Yeah, it blows my mind a little bit because, you know, when you come from a different country, you don't really notice your own accent. So w- until people comment on it, you know. <laughs> of course, because you're used to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess I'd like to start by just asking you if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling me and whomever may be listening at a later time, um, who you are and how you would describe yourself as an artist and a person. Absolutely. Well, for those of you who do not know me, uh, my name is Bernie Van Til. On stage, I go by BVT and I am a Sydney-based R&B hip-hop artist, 
I rap, I sing, I produce music. Um, I'm known predominantly for beatboxing. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with beatboxing, it's essentially making music with your voice, lips, teeth, tongue, uh, vocal cords, everything. It's so bizarre. I think the closest relation that in layman's terms, people could get to it is maybe police academy um, where the guy makes all these sound effects and plays pranks on people and that sort of thing. But since then it's evolved into something bigger and uh, more mainstream. And it's, it's even becoming a point of um, bridging the gap between language barriers, which is mm. phenomenal to watch. Also, I'm a queer person of color and I'm very passionate about bridging the gap between um, hip hop and queerness and just uh, voicing and being seen and validating others uh, through my music and through my motivation within that music. Fantastic. Can you expand more on what you said about beatboxing, bridging the gap between languages? That's so cool. Yeah. So essentially um, I think the closest related uh, version of that is when, you know, the famous quote, um, when words fail, music speaks. Um, and it's basically, you know, even within music, there are boundaries within language, um, but the limitation is, is, is broken through melody and the chords we choose and the key that we choose and um, the structure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's what moves us. Um, but with beatboxing, uh, it's really interesting to notice how people connect regardless of their language. Um, they can all just speak the one language of beatboxing. When beatboxers get on stage, they have the, the grand beatbox battle, which is the international competition. And everyone from all over the world comes and they compete and they showcase what they've got. And I'm talking worldwide, everyone from every corner of the of the world you know um and even from places that you probably haven't even heard of are there and they're all doing the one thing and they're all speaking the one language which is beatboxing so it's amazing to watch and it's all available on youtube or anywhere that you get your media swiss beatbox is the biggest platform for that um and each country has their own beatbox platform itself but swiss beatbox is the umbrella that we all fit under are there as there are with language, languages, are there mm -hmm. certain syllables that people sort of uh, adopt, like common syllables that are used? Yeah, so the way that we do it is, um, and, and it's really interesting, and I'll get into it in a minute, um, the more detailed and nuanced uh, perspectives of it, but uh, it's very phonic, the mm -hmm. language of beatboxing. Um, and yes, it's very syllabic as well, uh, but, and they're like in the midst of trying to figure out a way to properly notate it, but because the voice is unique and so flexible um, and a bunch of sounds are being made per minute, uh, it's just a matter of trying to lock it in and group it and find the um, categories it can fit in in order to notate it properly. Uh, but for the, for the time being, it's all just, you know, audible um, response. So you hear it and then you copy it 
um, and they try their best to break it down as much as possible. So like will be BTK or a technique, um, technique feel like will be TKK. Um, and then they have other words or terms for things like those are throat based. So, and then per throat base are different categories within. So you've got like vibration base, throat base, nasal, inward base, click roll, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah. And like lip rolls, like, um, and the way that we use them as well is completely in relationship to the microphone. Um, so beatboxing would have started with just like cupping your hands around your mouth, then like trying to amplify the sound from there. Uh, but as it evolved and we got microphones involved and, and everything, uh, we developed like techniques with the microphone. So you would cup the mic in a certain way to get um, a compression or a density on lower end sounds. Uh, lip rolls were developed. Um, uh, those sounds were developed to activate the subwoofers so that you would get this booming bass sound. So to the naked ear, if you're just doing it without a microphone, it's impressive enough but then when you add it to the microphone in a whole entire sound system it literally sounds like a sub or a bass line that you hear in like EDM music how do you learn to be in beatbox there's multiple approaches so there's this inside joke in the beatbox community that we all just have ADHD which to <laughs> some people it really does ring true uh, because there's this common trait where we all need this constant stimulation and and like we can't just go some of us can't just go pick up an instrument and just noodle around on it but our instrument is our voice so um, we're constantly copying sounds or imitating things or just experimenting with how our voice can sound um, and most of that starts off with an impression of a cartoon character or you know a movie star or something but then it, it really does it moves into music and imitating instruments and that sort of thing similar to how in jazz you know we had scat and mm -hmm. you know we had like vocal trumpets and mm -hmm. um even I think like mimicking guitar sounds like guitar riffs and noodles and runs and all that sort of thing so you know it didn't come from nowhere it really did come from you know um the roots of like black music and so within that it's usually just like you know hearing it and copying it and developing it into something ridiculous um, but then you've got this new generation of beatboxes coming through that, um, funnily enough, they've got, you know, they've, they, they've got, they're just the product of their surroundings. They've got the internet, you know, mm -hmm. so my generation, um, we're there just for kind of like the birth of YouTube. And we got like the early days of YouTube where people were just still walking into that world and were at a particular level. And so we got our exposure to that, which is great. But then you've got like 13 year olds coming through with insane techniques that have taken people 15 years to develop because wow. they're just immediately exposed to it. They see it and they go, oh, that's my entry level. Let's do that. And then right. they develop these ridiculous sounds and techniques that are supposed to be ridiculously complicated, but because that's already their, their entry level point, you know, they're only going to raise the bar further and further and further. 
And then the next generation and the next generation is probably going to do the same, but. Okay. I mean, I relate to this because I'm also in the classical world, you know, the, each generation just gets better and better and better. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The pedagogy just gets more and more developed. Um, I'm not sure if it's a product of the internet in this case, but it very well could be. I mean, if you're constantly exposed to other people doing your craft really, really well, then you're getting that auditory reinforcement all the time. And then you're constantly able to continue to develop yourself. Um, Mm. So I I can see how there would be kids that are just crazy, good beatboxers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like almost uh, infuriating (laughs) because you're going, oh, man, that took me, that took me 15 years to get. How are you doing this straight off the bat? But like the best part about our community is that we, we want everyone to be a beatboxer. We want everyone to be the best they can be. And we celebrate how the more ridiculous things get. We celebrate it because I don't know. I just, I can't explain it in, in words alone. I think it's something that um, everyone, when they get the opportunity needs to go experience, whether they save up and travel to the GBB, um, whether they save up and travel just to a, a local event, um, it's just this universal community that we're all super inclusive and super weird, super mm-hmm. weird people, super weird people. I cannot stress that enough. How so? How are they weird? How are you? Weird? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like when you find your tribe and your community and language ceases to exist um, and you're mostly communicating through onomatopoeia. I also used to hold a, an open mic night once a month at my house, my old house, because oh, um, it was just this beautiful open plan. We just scored with the rental board. Like we we just walked into it. It was cheap. It was open. It was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So we really struck lucky, um, my housemates and I at the time. And it was just perfect for creative people. And so once a month I invited all my creative friends and I said if you know anyone who's creative bring them along everyone's welcome and um, we used to just set it up with beautiful lights and proper equipment and um, yeah it was just like a safe space for creatives to um, test their content no matter whether they were seasoned or brand new Mm -hmm. and everyone just listened so intently because it was a really intimate space but just at like maybe like 11 p.m the magic hour would happen where all the beatboxes would just get up and mm. start beatboxing together so you'd have like four beatboxes on a mic and it would just turn into this like very microscopic warehouse rave <laughs> because of like how good it sounded it sounded like an actual sound system and wow. we used to live next door to a university and they would come over, the, the campus police would come over and be like, can you turn the music down? We were like, mate, what music? There's uh, four of us on a mic. And they're like, oh. Um, but Australia has always just been a, a country that's really based off of like, like, yeah, mate syndrome. Like it's, it's, it's really into the sports and rugby and, um that sort of that sort of world thrives and and even though like our gross domestic product for um our economy is 
like 40% agriculture. And then I think underneath that, the next highest percentage is the arts. Um, and then the lowest percentage uh, or the second lowest percentage is sports. Even though sports has such a low percentage of income for Australia's economy, it is the most celebrated. Hmm. Um, so, and I like, don't want to put my, my finger in it, but it is like old white dudes in power, essentially. And, you know, them expressing their policies and making those um, choices for people who aren't like them. So it's, it's never just seen as like an essential thing to be an artist. They're not really given the props that they deserve or the support that they deserve. So it's not to say that Australia is like this horrible place and no one gets what they need or anything like that. Like it's, I will acknowledge the privilege that we still do have being the country that we are and a beautiful country at that. Um, it's just that when you put it on a grand scale and compare it to the other things that get more attention or more funding, there's a very big difference between, between all of them. And it is, um, super dependent on what state you're from as well so for example there will be more grants going out in melbourne um, than there will be in sydney so you know victoria versus new south wales is very different um, perspectives on the arts which is why a lot of people move to a particular city in order to get what they need because there's just more available yeah i I don't think people realize how deeply ingrained the arts is, <laughs> you yeah. know, how many facets of life um, artists and creative people and even just the creative sensibilities, how, how much it nurtures everything around us, how much mm -hmm. it creates everything around us, how much those type of, of people add to to our societies completely yeah. I noticed in your Instagram bio you do have TikTok mm -hmm. um when did you start on that platform and what what have been the benefits for you since you're still on it so there must be some um I have a love-hate relationship with TikTok I downloaded it as a joke initially um it always just, starts that way it always starts that way I'm <laughs> a sucker so yeah I I did it as a joke um just be like oh how funny would it be and then um and it was during our our proper pandemic when it all first started uh and I was stuck out west I was bored um and you know my brain needing something to do and somewhere to be I uh, got TikTok and the first thing I did was just upload a beatbox video and it it just went viral and I was like oh god damn it so <laughs> <laughs> that's how they hook you um something does well and then you feel like there's this constant demand for entertainment from you and I love I absolutely love to entertain but I like to do it in person online is a very different thing um and anyone else that I've spoken to that does well on TikTok my partner included they also have this strange relationship with it uh and the algorithms don't make sense um the different niches don't make sense the 
like areas that you go to don't make sense so there's like straight tiktok versus queer tiktok there's um beatboxer tiktok there's adhd tiktok there's like there's all these different avenues that and worlds that exist based off of what you follow and that's the only logical algorithm that that makes sense but um it's so easy to kind of be in your own world and not really understand where other people exist which can be such a dangerous place to be um especially if you're young and impressionable um you can get into a very specific place in tiktok and not really understand where the rest of the world is or what they're Mm -hmm. thinking um so unless you're exposed to multiple platforms of media and real life then you know you're gonna be a pretty one-dimensional human um Mm -hmm. but for some people it's it's less of a detriment and more of a safety it's where they can express their true identity it's where they can be themselves especially in the lgbt community if you're fortunate enough to be in that bubble um and not be around people who are discriminating against you if you're very very and i stress very fortunate enough to have that experience then that place becomes your 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 place of safety as someone who who is doing pretty okay on on tiktok i still and same as my partner i think my partner would say the same thing it's like maybe don't do it um because it's also it also it's also a platform like any other social media app um it's a platform for for the wrong people too Mm. you know um and if you're not careful you might enter those spaces and if your mental health isn't you know constantly being maintained then it's yeah it's it's a tricky place to be sometimes so how many uh is it called followers on tiktok Mm, i guess yeah how many followers do you have on vain (laughs) (laughs) how many followers um approximately i did a viral video which again i didn't mean to it just happened again it doesn't make sense don't be so modest it, but it doesn't it doesn't make sense but I got like 10k followers in one day just Ooh. based off of that so I'm sitting on just from one video I'm now sitting on 57.1k and before that wow. I was on 40k wow. for like 10 months because I just wasn't doing anything on TikTok um, wow okay if you're not careful like some things do get shadow banned um shadow banned and what would you have to do to get shadow banned i don't know be gay black or anything else like honestly a lot of minority groups and this is the big controversy with tiktok and instagram uh is that a lot of minority groups depending on their hashtag or depending on how they spell something in the video um tiktok will pick up on it so what does it feel like to have that many people watching what you do like it's interesting you bring that up because um I'm actually bringing out a a a new song soon um and I was just in a pitch meeting last week with my team about the music video and the music video was kind of floating with the idea of um being influencers but taking that into the real space and the idea that so many people are just watching you and um, understanding where the performative aspect of your life comes from and the genuine aspect of your life comes from. 
mm-hmm. and whether people watch both or not uh, for my partner because she's specifically aiming at um, LGBTQ plus community and um, also she's a massive um, advocate for mental health days and everything she speaks to our community and ties that into it because she knows how heavily our community is affected by um, mental health issues and the way that society and our government as well treats mental health so and especially the community's mental health as well um so she's hyper aware of it and she dedicates a a, a ton of her time to it she specifically outlines one day just to listen to people ask them questions um give them support and also like outline uh other facilities or communities or projects that um are there for people that need help so and she'll give them those those um links or those services or anything like that Mm. um that's beautiful that's awesome yeah she's great like that Um, what's her name emma emma horn does she consider herself a an, an influencer like would she label herself as such I've had that discussion with her before and she's at one stage said no, but I, I don't, I consider her an influence. I consider anyone and I don't really think about the following. I think about anyone who is to the term influential an influencer, right. Um, right. anyone who can speak to the masses or speak to one person, they are an influencer, but for the like pop culture term, I still consider her that. Um, but she doesn't consider herself an influencer until she gets a certain number of followers. Not that long ago, she was like, I just want to get to 10K. I just want to get to 10K and I'll be fine. Because when you get to 10K, you get the swipe up link on Instagram um, mm-hmm. where you can right. attach anything you want. And she got to 10K in no time. And then suddenly... And that was a good moment. We celebrated that. And, you know, I was really proud of her because she wanted to do something and she achieved it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then now it's, and she's sitting on like 20 something K and she's like, I just want to get to a hundred K. I just want to get to a hundred K. And I'm like, where do you feel happy with this? Like, I know she's happy with, with it as happy as you can be with any social media presence. um, Cause I know it's a bit of a a battle um, being, a, a social media presence at all um but yeah I think that she's just very motivated and she really wants to um get to as 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 best as she can be in that platform it's reminding me of this old sort of buddhist pro- proverb as you were speaking where it's it says the things you desire give no more satisfaction than drinking seawater <laughs> yeah which is one of the things I one of the I have this little book it's the the teacher is Atisha he's um in the in the Mahayana lineage but I'm sure all sorts of traditions study his his teachings but uh it so encompasses our culture in general and you know, is exhibited, I think, in all of us to some degree is, you know, whether Mm. it's like a new car or a, 
new um, piece of clothing or anything. It's like, as soon as we have it, we want something else, right? We want yeah, more. Definitely. That's a, that's a discussion that my partner and I have often just to keep ourselves in check, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially because we're, we live in a society that's built off of the pursuit of financial stability Mm-hmm. And because we're both creatives and we've dedicated our lives to being creative people, um, that income will fluctuate day in and day out. You know, when I would go visit the Philippines when I was younger and I lived for, lived there for a little bit as well, um, the quality of life and the ratio of happiness there was weird. It was harder for me to find my happiness for some time because I was so displaced um compared to my um cousins that that grew up there and lived there and everything and there's this idea that they look at Australia and America and Canada as the world of opportunity the land of opportunity where you will go and you'll work and you'll be rich and you'll send money back to your family that's like the basic formula in the Philippines, you know, they go, okay, I'm going to get my nursing degree. I'm going to be a nurse over in a better country and send money back because the dollar inflation value ratio, et cetera, is just, it's, it's better than my country. I'll feed my family is the, is like the perspective, but then it gets to this point where they go and then I'll be happier because I'll have these things and I'll have a country that's like better. And I'll have more of this, more of that, more of this, more of that. And it doesn't always ring true. Like I had, I have a cousin in the Philippines now, like my family is like, oh, you know, you guys should really get your education, get your degrees, get your certificates, get your this, get your that and come to Australia and work and it would be great. You really love it here and blah, blah, blah. And I have one cousin who's like refuses. He's like, no, I'm really, really happy here because all you guys do is work and run yourselves down Mm. for everything else and I look at your quality of life and I don't like it compared to mine you know he's like I have it simpler here I have you know I do have my work here but I also have my roots and I have my family and I have things that work for me if you're directly correlating success and happiness together um you're going to find yourself in a very tricky situation because depending on what you determine success to be will then determine in your mind, at least what happiness is. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of my artist friends who are signed to labels at the moment, they're like, before that, they were like, um, my, my level of happiness and, and idea of success is that I get to do what I love to do not even just for a living that I just get to do what I love to do, which is make music. Right. And then they'll get signed to a label and they'll be like, Oh, I'll just be happy when I make it. And I'm mm. like, what does what that look? It? Yeah. What does yeah. that look like to you? And like, I don't mm. think that's true because once you quote make it, there's all these other levels of responsibilities that you have for your career now and all these other schedules and times and things like, what does making it look like to you? What does, and then in turn, what does happiness look like for you, mm-hmm. you know? Do you notice any parallels between um, using your the muscles in your mouth, the vocal cords, these instruments you have for beatboxing versus also the, the acting element? 
Yeah, definitely. So for one, uh, when I did this Christmas campaign, so the whole idea behind this Christmas one was like the pandemic had been happening. Um, Christmas was kind of canceled in a way. And um, I guess things were just feeling a bit grim. So um, to kind of put smiles back on people's faces, they, the team that um, organized it came up with this commercial where there was this Santa that was doing synchronized swimming um, <laughs> with all of these products that were available at this store. And they were just like, you know, Christmas gifts that you could consider or like um, amazing things that are a discounted rate that you could buy so that you could put on a, a, the feast that you always wanted. And um, the track was this amazing hip hop, UK hip hop track um, called Squad. And it was just so vivid, but brilliant. And it was comedic and it was fun. So um, I did the like, television and radio and social media spots for that and um while I was promoting these products I was also um getting called back in for other radio spots where they would um use comedic ele elements to sort of get the point across that they're selling these products yeah um but I would like be the voice of the mouth and then the voice of the stomach and we'd be talking about like really delicious cherries that you can buy for Christmas and mm -hmm. um getting to put on different voices for them and flexing the muscles around the vocal cords and everything to mm -hmm. um and you know the way you use your mouth and everything to shape uh, I guess an accent in that as well it was mm -hmm. yeah the most fun that I'd had in a voiceover session in a while I was also the voice of an intergalactic clitoris for the um, Wild Secrets sex store campaign. Um, wow. And they were I'm all about to make that the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that was all about bridging the gap, bridging the orgasm gap between, um, I guess, people that have, like, to be more inclusive, people that have vaginas or clitorises and people who have penises. Um, I want to ask you about freestyling because I saw I saw one of your videos where you were freestyling as I was oh, doing yeah. research on you. Um, and I've always been blown away by that. I would always be thinking, what is going through their minds? How are they getting into a state of mental flow that they're able to uh, seamlessly sort of connect ideas in that way? I think flow state is a state of mind you enter when you lose inhibition and you don't worry so much about trying to connect the dots because the dots will connect by themselves if you just trust. Mm. So you've been speaking this language for as long as you could. You know what words make sense. You know what words rhyme. You know what words like on a subconscious level, you know, because language is second nature, right? It's just mm -hmm. there. But when you get put on the spot and when you decide to do something and you know people are going to be listening, your inhibition and your barriers come up to protect you because your consciousness goes, oh, I don't want to look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. I want to look really good at this. I want to, and then you start to care what people think and then you start to care too much what you think. And mm -hmm. then you start to 
lose out on your flow state. And so that is what I, I at least believe. Okay. Here's a question though. I mean, relating it to performance anxiety, for example, um, oh, yeah. when you, in any kind of performance, when you're getting to in your left brain and you're, you're uh, in real time critiquing what you're doing and that's getting in the mm-hmm. way of achieving that flow state um, in this case, not verbal um, with ideas and, and verbiage, but more so in the execution of, of playing your instrument, for example, mm-hmm. um, how do you, because it's very hard to simulate that environment. It's very mm-hmm. hard to mm-hmm. simulate that feeling. So you can practice the execution of the various motions needed to complete the task, let's say, but in this mm-hmm. case, because freestyling let's compare it to improvising. So you're not practicing a rap in the sense that you've, you have something written down and you're then reciting it. This Mm. is connection, connected, associated ideas flowing through you. How, Mm. how do you practice, um, getting into that flow state when you're not actively in it? Honestly, I just put on instrumentals like when okay. I'm in the car and um, it has to be when I'm doing something um, else. So if I'm driving, for example, um, it helps because I'm operating two sides of the brain. Um, so I have to like be aware of like turn signals and road signals and other cars and other people and okay. that sort of thing, um, which again, like I've been driving for a long time, so it's not hard to do. Um, and then, um, when I'm freestyling, like my language, my language will be the first thing to go. Like, it's the same as when I'm listening to trying to listen to something and talk to someone at the same time, my Mm -hmm. voice will be the first thing to go because I'll be listening to whatever's over there first. Um, so it, my driving won't be the first thing to go will be my, my freestyling. So, um, when I'm driving and I'm trying to freestyle to a track, it's kind of like that it's just sort of simulating this like um notion that there's so much going on and so much that I'm paying attention to it's also creating an environment where you're practicing when your mind is sort of relaxed which is very useful right like if you're practicing mm-hmm. always at, at 100% hyper focus then that sort of gives rise to more overthinking in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's like when um, like an artist is listening to music while painting or drawing, there's just like two different things going on at the same time. Um, yeah. And if you, it'll either get you into a relaxed state of mind and you can just kind of let go of that inhibition or, you'll be hyper distracted. And so you have to work through the obstacles and then working through those obstacles will become of benefit anyway, because when you're in an environment that caters to your performance a bit better, you, you've, you've done the work. So it's mm-hmm. like flexing a muscle and then you need to lift this thing. It's not so heavy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> I think I will let you go. I, I really appreciate you meeting, especially at this relatively early hour for you. Oh, it's really not that early. You should come on the podcast again, but if you ever sure. want to chat, I'd love to. It's uh, Absolutely. I love yeah. new friends. Take okay. care and thank you for the conversation. Okay. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye. Yeah. Bye.
Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da